Hey guys, welcome to episode 78 of Bo Knows Stuff. I am very lucky to be joined by Andrew Coates, who just got back from a trip he's going to tell us all about, down in Florida, where he got to see this band, Tool, um, and he had a lot to say. He had a lot of, a lot of things to say. Uh, he had a great uh, presentation here. I really appreciate, and I'm still riding a little bit of a, of a man crush, I'm not ashamed to admit, of uh, his ability to decipher information, break it down, make it simple, and I just wish uh, we can have more of these conversations. I wish there would be more of this type of thinking in the fitness industry, so I'm just really glad to have connected with him and excited to continue to spread his message, his type of thinking, and uh, yeah, I'm excited about this. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Get 1% better. See ya. Live. We are. Oh, there we are. We are live. Hello with Andrew Coates and Tool in the background. They actually just played here a few weeks ago, I think, in uh, Colorado. I missed them, but uh, you are over in Edmonton, Alberta. Yes. Edmonton, Alberta. Yeah. That's the first time I've ever gotten quote walk up music on a podcast. Of yeah. Course, so I'm honored. I try to. Um, I try to put my little touch on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personal touch. I just saw them in two concerts in Orlando and in uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, before coming back, I was down there for a fitness conference. So uh, really cool two-in-one to get the conference and the concerts. Yeah. And I, I heard you talking about um, kind of connecting that on a few of your recent podcasts. And for anyone not familiar with Andrew Coates, you should be. I actually was not very familiar with you until our mutual buddy, Shane uh, McLean, McLean, however you want to say his name, uh, the Australian, I guess Australians say McLean, probably. Uh, but yeah, uh, he was on your podcast, Lift Free and Diet Hard. Um, and you had my other buddy, Kenny Santucci on Ooh, a few Kenny. episodes ago. Yeah. But he uh, was, yeah. Kenny came down to join me in Florida for that event. So I actually oh, yeah. met in, uh, at Luca host of ours event in, uh, September. Kenny's an awesome dude. Yeah. And, uh, so he came down to hang out in Florida and so small world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a really small world for sure. And, uh, yeah, so, so just wanted to connect the dots there. And again, uh, if you guys want to go check out Andrew's podcast, and you, you you kept mentioning again, I've heard I've been listening to kind of research leading up to this, uh, especially since I only got introduced to you when kind of Shane was on your podcast. Uh, you 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 had some co-hosts, and then they moved on, and now it's your your show only. Yeah. So real quick, uh, my good friend Dean Guido about five years ago asked me, "Hey, you know, do you want to co-host a fitness podcast with me?" She's like, "All right, sure, why not? Let's do it." And very quickly, some of the friends that I've made from my travels, like Dr. Mike Isertel, Sohee Lee. Uh, became guests and uh, Dean Somerset obviously is local Edmonton and then it spiraled and it's been something that we did for oh god almost three years and then his wife um, they're gonna have a baby so he kind of let me know that at episode about 150 he was gonna have to break off but he wouldn't let me shelve it he, he insisted I keep going <laughs> so I decided to rename it kind of pull it under my brand as opposed to this very separate sort of entity that was a lot of fun and uh, I'd have carried it on and I've recently of last maybe like several weeks, I'd struggled to be on a consistent weekly basis like we've always done. But I think I fixed that now. Better scheduling system, and I've uh, I've got some really big guests coming up in the next little bit. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I went back and looked through your archive, and already a, a, an awesome all star lineup, and uh, excited to to see. I'm guessing it sounded like you connected with a few of the folks down in Orlando. That was a kind of all star lineup. Big time all star lineup. Yeah. So, yeah. For example, uh, first time I get to meet Dan John, Molly Galbraith. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a whole bunch of people I've met in my travels before. Nick Winkleman, first time meeting him. He was previously on the podcast. Uh, I got to hang out with Luca, um, Lee Boyce, good friend of mine, Tony Gentlecore. They've all done it before. 
and uh, Chris Duffin. So Chris, hopefully we'll be able to get him scheduled and uh, Brett Bartholomew is scheduled. Uh, I first met him in 2017. I honestly think that if you get a chance to travel in the industry, I don't know if a lot of your listeners are other coaches, but you get a chance to attend these kind of things. They're really eye-opening. They're inspiring. They'll blast the doors off the limiting belief systems that you kind of have about what you could possibly do with your career. Right. You get to hang out with some people that may otherwise be people you've been absorbing their work for years, reading their stuff. Mm-hmm. And it changes your perspective. And honestly, it changed mine back in 2017 when I started traveling to these things. And it's probably one of the biggest reasons why I then turned around and embraced the podcast, uh, writing for some of the publications I've been writing for, and the, just the, otherwise the career growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can share a similar kind of concept as, uh, as a physical therapist student, 2005 to 2008, getting my doctorate in physical therapy. I went to, there's, there's three annual conferences. I went to all nine out of those, uh, in those three years, uh, we have, uh, and again, I got to travel. The very first one actually was here in Denver. Uh, that was my first time, uh, like, oh, I'll do the local beer sampler. And, uh, oh, elevation is a thing. Okay, cool. Um, that knocked me on my butt. So I didn't, I didn't go out that night, but, uh, to your point, the networking was, was amazing. I still keep in touch with folks from 2005 that, that I connected with. I was, um, really wrapped up in it. I got involved in like the, the, the politics of the physical therapy profession. And again, I keep in touch with some of those folks. Some of them are some of my best friends. I did a cross country move, uh, a couple of years ago from New York to L- uh, California and uh, stayed with two or three of the, the folks I met through some of those conferences. So yeah, uh, for anyone out there uh, listening, for sure, whatever profession you're in, uh, as he plays with Ozzy, his caddy wants to <laughs> definitely, definitely get Ozzy uh, some love. Uh, yeah, I would definitely, definitely double down on the fact that those conferences and that time, again, having a drink, uh, and, and that's where these podcasts are, like, are great, but, <laughs> but doing it in person is a whole nother, another uh, elevation of that. And so there's yeah. a lot of people in the, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctors of physical therapy who've really made big waves being interconnected within the fitness industry. And you've mm-hmm. probably met some of them in your travels or certainly know who they are, but people like uh, Dr. Tim DeFrancesco, Dr. Mm-hmm. Sam Spinelli, uh, John Russin, certainly, although Don, John has never practiced as right. a physical therapist, despite <laughs> yeah. actually being one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always functioned in the strength realm. Uh, Quinn Hennick is another mm-hmm. favorite of mine. Yeah. These are some really cool people. And it's nice to see you got people who recognize the value of being aligned with the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of these people, uh, Dr. Jen Ferroni is another really great one. And these, these are these are great people who are helping educate a lot of the, the, the trainers yeah. who are out there. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. And I want to ask you a little more about that. Uh, I'd love to know locally if, if that's something, because you are in Canada there's the, the national health, uh, socialized medicine. Don't want to scare people here in America, mm-hmm. socialized medicine, but, uh, you would love to hear, I actually have a really good friend in Toronto and I've, I have no idea about, uh, Canadian, uh, geography, how far that is from <laughs> where you are, but, uh, three day drive. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah. So nowhere. Oh, so you are, are you um, closer to Vancouver? Uh, yeah, closer. So in Edmonton, I mean, we're, we're about, probably the largest northerly city in North America in terms of like a large, large city. Yeah. Uh, we're north of Calgary. So if anybody is, you're in what you said you're in Denver. I'm in, uh, yeah, I'm between Denver and Boulder, uh, Colorado, but yeah, we got a little yeah. snow going. We, we're trying to keep up with you. You guys, you guys have the Colorado <laughs> avalanche. We have the Edmonton Oilers. So there hopefully that people, right. Depending on there who's listening. <laughs> hockey. Uh, yeah. Over generally towards Vancouver, the best way for Americans to kind of conceptualize Edmonton or Alberta, where I am is we're really like the Texas of Canada. So okay. we're, 
we have a lot of the same oil. It's a little bit more politically conservative. Was that um, where the oil pipeline was going to go from? Is that yeah, where? that's actually where okay. the, the Keystone that was ultimately canceled was yes. supposed to, I think, um, yeah, originally. I don't pay too much attention to all those sort of things, especially the political side of it. Right. You can get real twisted up in that crap real fast. <laughs> I try to focus on the things I can control, which is the information I share to help people with their fitness and nutrition. I'm not interested in picking sides on, on that sort of thing. I just know that it gets really like just nasty and intolerant from all sides. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as far as Canada goes, we're, we're really like the equivalent of Edmonton would be very similar to say a Houston. Calgary would be very similar to Dallas. Vancouver would be very much like say Seattle. And mm -hmm. then as you work your way across, most of the Canadian provinces have similar things to some of the American ones, uh, American States. So but either way. Yeah. But so coming back to that question, how do you, how is the interaction between personal trainers and physios? Uh, I, mean, I think it's going to vary. I think you're going to have the physical therapy community who are in a clinical setting, who are probably just taking care of a lot of the people who are assigned to them, who don't necessarily want right. to be there. You know, the yeah. almost the stuff that's in either the, <laughs> the long-term uh, disability stuff or the occupational health and safety side of things. Uh, I have some great uh, physical therapists. Uh, I've got a couple of guys here, Jason Dick and Darren Bishop, who I'll shout out, who I refer people to, who are great with the strength training community. They definitely get this, the type of stuff that can, comes up in that world. And often they're more passionate and interested in dealing with that kind of stuff because you get people who are, in all honesty, sometimes more motivated to work on things and, and do the work. Right. And and they're not about putting, uh, you know, just the 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 treatments to alleviate the acute discomfort, having the person come back for treatment after treatment after treatment. Right. They're really concerned with teaching people how to learn to, to move better mm -hmm. and the, the types of loading and the strength building stuff. So that way that person can actually get better. And I know that there are different people. There's different people in the training community. There's different people in the chiropractic community, different people in medicine, nutrition, and there's different people in PT. And we know that there are people who, would rather just do the uh, the passive treatments and there are people who actively want to see the, those clients stop coming back to them because they want them to be better. And I think that side of it, the last thing I said, they're often the best ones to develop relationships with the fitness industry. And I think it's like any allied healthcare professional. I think registered dietitians are the ones that I find struggle the most with this. Mm. There are some who have developed this symbiotic relationship with the fitness industry and realize as educators and allies, they can do extraordinarily well. Mm -hmm. There are still people within the dietetics community who have this very competitive attitude towards trainers feeling like trainers are encroaching on their scope of practice. So it's, it's a hostile relationship. And in one way, I think that part of the problem is branding and getting out there and actually be accessible to helping people. And I think there's a lot of really great dietitians who understand that, who've embraced it. They've developed their social media, they've developed a brand and allied within the fitness community. And just like yourself, I think that applies to physical therapists who understand the value in aligning themselves with the, the trainer community instead of spending their time complaining about people stepping outside of scope. We right. know people wander all over mm -hmm. scope this we know that that and and sometimes those areas are blurred but we also have some of the educators i mentioned before who are teaching tra trainers and then you get these corrective exercises courses which who knows how valuable those really are <laughs> you know i am i my skepticism on this sort of stuff uh you know when a trainer brands himself as a corrective exercise specialist i'm like okay we'll see but 
we know that trainers are definitely creeping over into some of the territory that sometimes we traditionally think is physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, blurring those lines can be helpful if they know what they're doing. And in some ways, it's not. And I think that the best people in your community, like yourself, are going to be people who are educating trainers how to know the nuances, what are the boundaries, here's what you can do. And with those relationships, what I'm, I don't like dancing on the lines of that boundary. I like sending people who are dealing with you know, an injury or, or a, a type of pain that I'm not able to modify exercise to make that pain go away. It's like, how often do you have someone who, okay, it hurts when I squat. Okay, cool. Let's just look at your knee position. Let's make sure how you're loading through your feet. Let's engage your core. Let's get your you know spine braced into a relatively neutral position and a few other little tinkerings. And all of a sudden, Ooh, I feel good. Pain's gone away. Mm. I don't need to send that person to a physical therapist because mm. they're bad, like quote, bad form. People get frustrated right. using language like that, but we don't, we don't need to send that person to a physical therapist, but if we've got a client who has, you know, enduring pain, some type of injury that needs, you know, skilled rehabilitation, then I want to work in conjunction with that physical therapist to do what is within my scope and ability to help that client and make sure that that person has a proper medical care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love that. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and again, I've heard, I've, like I said, I listened to a bunch of your podcasts leading up to today and uh, I've heard you touch on scope of practice and and those listening, I'd encourage you to go check out his episodes as much as I'd love you to check out mine. But I, I, I think that Andrew's got uh, a wealth of uh, articles as well. And we didn't talk about your, your prolific uh, <laughs> career as, as an author, which again is, is uh, something that uh, we definitely, we don't, we don't go deep enough on, I think sometimes. And, and yeah, I, it's something I moved away from and I want to move back to myself of writing more articles and what the way I've thought of it is, is, uh, actually the last few years of practice, um, seeing clients, I'm, I have these conversations and I, and, and like kind of what you were just talking about of having somebody who's struggling with squatting and having pain, uh, and then you're able to fix that with a few tweaks. Um, like that, that's an awesome thing. And that's a conversation where, and an example where I want to be able to highlight that and take people through saving the, the, the trouble of that and searching for somebody who can actually help them with that. That's the thing that a lot of trainers and therapists, uh, like you're saying, on both ends of the spectrum, uh, just don't get. And when it comes to physical therapy, real quick, I'll say on, on my side is I tell people if they don't have a squat rack in their facility, like don't go see them. Like if, if, that, if, if you're somebody who uses a barbell, and they don't have a squat rack in their facility, like, yeah, let's, let's, there's probably a better fit for you somewhere. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to um, come back to that kind of question of what is your assessment look like? I'd love to, I'd love to know that. Cause again, like with, and you know, I know there's gray areas of scope of practice and all that, but I'd love to definitely um, understand that from like, cause you, and again, I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole of geeking out. And again, we have a little bit of a time limitation, but I'd love to hear that. Um, and I have another podcast too, if you haven't seen it, is the Demand Better podcast with a personal training friend of mine in on the Upper East Side of New York, David Corona, no relation to the virus. And uh, <laughs> he, yeah, uh, he, he embraces it, you know, Corona, it means king. It's a good, it's a good word. I don't know how the virus got that name, but uh, yeah. So coming back to it again, we talk about the, the assessment side of it uh, for sure. So I'd love to hear a little bit of, of your take on that assessment. Uh, again, you're obviously... You know, if, if anyone listens to, to 30 seconds of Andrew Coates, they're going to know that you know more than the average bear. So, <laughs> so I have some nuanced thoughts on assessments. Um, I think that learning the fundamentals of assessment, uh, movement screens, that sort of stuff can be a really good thing for new trainers coming in. 
you'll probably find that most experienced trainers, people like Tony Gentilcore, Tony and I were talking about this recently. We agree. When you have a client coming in front of you for the first time, well, let's say the first time you sit down with them and they, they sit with you for an hour, go over their goals, you talk to them, whatever, you go through a sales process. And then you tell them, okay, cool. Well, we're going to schedule for tomorrow or the next day. And they come back and all you have them do is an, is an hour of movement screens and they're not really loading. Well, that's two visits where they haven't actually worked out. And some of that excitement of doing it, it's waning. So I really like getting to the workout. I also, we also, we're at the point now where what we've got with like the functional movement screen, FMS, they used to make some claims about how it had predictive validity to injury. And then no research bore that out. Uh, so now I they mean, do. what 30% is still something. <laughs> yeah. And so they've even backed off of making that claim yeah. anymore. And it can still be useful to understand how, you know, the ranges of motion a person can get into and whether or not they're hypermobile or whatever. But you could actually do all that stuff informally. I can get someone to literally stand up and I can go, here, let me, let me see your squat. And we see what's going on. And okay, cool. They, they've got the ability to move into a range of motion that I think they can control. And there's some other good stuff going on. I could put a 20, depending on how strong they are, 25 pound goblet dumbbell in their hands. And ooh, you know what? Most personal trainers know that someone's form tends to improve when you give them that weight there. So I don't believe that people need to earn the right to, to add a little bit low. We don't max them out on day one. Meanwhile, I'm assessing how they move as I get them to work with lighter weight. If I know the injury history, which goes in the intake, then I know that, okay, this person has this particular shoulder injury. They probably can't press a barbell overhead. That's probably not on the training menu. Uh, Tony Gentilcourt talks about this trainable menu. I love the concept. But a single arm uh, angled barbell press, a landmine press, most people call it, is probably safe for almost all but the most destroyed shoulders, in which case they're in your, your territory, not mine. And so we could assess and come up with a pretty basic program template. It's not cookie cutter that most people can probably do based on the number of days they can train during the week, their injury history, their, their, their training preferences, the way they like to train. And you can assess by doing with very lightweight and pretty quickly, you can basically assess all of the major upper body push pull movements, vertical versus horizontal uh, pushing and pulling, uh, you know, the various isolations of the different joints how someone's hips move, how someone's knees move, and you can get them doing stuff. And then you a lot, then they can progress, especially as they show capability and competency. So my assessment tends to be an informal, okay, let's start with a program template. Let's see how you move with all the basic human movements, which a formal assessment is just having people do a, a series of formal screens. And for me, it's, it's perhaps a touch informal. And we adjust as we get feedback from how, what they say, how they're moving, right? If I've got someone who doesn't move very well to parallel depth, now parallel squat depth is an arbitrary thing, but I also think that most people can and should, not all, most. I've worked with two clients in 11 years who did not have the biomechanical range of motion to squat to a parallel depth squat. So unless there's an injury or just some, some bone on bone restriction that won't allow it, most people probably can't. Now, I'm not forcing people in a range of motion they can't control. A lot of times people can't control it. So how do we get them to squat deeper? Well, oftentimes any personal trainer will know that you put a barbell on the shoulders of someone and they struggle to squat deep, especially someone with long femurs or who's tall. And then you anteriorly load them like a goblet squat and they drop it like it's hot into a really good looking squat. So there's something about a goblet squat that just seems to clean it all up. Cool. We know that this person has a range of motion. Maybe they need to be anteriorly loaded. 
front squatting, right? And not the back squatting. So we just assess and use the right tools. Maybe that person squats deep, but can't control the butt weight, their, their spine moves. Okay, maybe I need to put a barrier there. So maybe I have to have them squat softly onto a box, or maybe I use the box as a depth finder for someone who struggles to squat deeper, but knowing that's underneath them, it cleans up their form. So it's just about seeing how people move and then adjusting the approach to get them to do the move. Because I don't care if they squat onto a box or not. I don't care if it's anterior or posteriorly loaded. I care that the person is able to move through the fullest available range of motion they can control and that they can progressively get stronger doing it without pain. So, so that, I appreciate that, that summation at the end there. Uh, cause that, that's really what I was going to, that was my next question. You kind of stole my thunder was about going through that full range of motion. And, uh, again, you mentioned Quinn and, uh, Aaron, you didn't mention Aaron Horshig of squat university. I don't know how you feel about him. He, uh, yeah. Mixed, I mean, I want to be careful and nuanced on record. Yeah. Squat university has built an incredible, um, you know, presence on, on the media. Aaron is often criticized for some of the things he points out. He creates language that can be interpreted as creating fear around movement, which I have a major problem with. I don't like that. And I completely reject this idea that you have to earn the right to add load by being absolutely flawless in movement. That's that's junk. That's nonsense. Right. <laughs> and unfortunately, there's a little too much of his media that is based on fear about dysfunction, which I hate. But then he shares a lot of really good stuff as well. So it's one of those things where I'm just like, I, I also don't like policing what other people say and do in the mm. industry. I think the answer is do a really great job of creating better information. So, so I look at my friend, Sam Spinelli, who, and Sam has on a couple of occasions shared information that contradicts what Aaron has said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Sam has built a massive platform. He's a great guy with a lot of integrity and he doesn't use fear-based messaging. So I would rather have Sam on my podcast and share his stuff than you'll, you'll never see me criticizing Squat University on my media. I also don't share Squat University stuff on my media because there's just a little bit too much. And there's a big industry full of a lot of great people. So I try to choose the people across the industry who I think have really great messaging, great integrity, and the net, like a lot of people that I love good friends of mine. I occasionally disagree with something they say. Jonathan Goodman, Dr. Mike Isertel, my friend Mike Dola, who owns Stronger You, uh, any number of other people. And they will look at the muscle doctor in shallow. And I'll look at it and go, 95 plus percent of the stuff they say, I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and then occasionally there's they'll say something where I'm like, you know what? This, this isn't 100% in line with the way that I look at things. I very rarely look at them and go, oh, that was fucking stupid and wrong but I may not fundamentally agree with exactly what they've said there. And that doesn't make me right. I, I also don't think we want to be an army of people who subscribe to the ideology of a particular guru, find, follow them blindly, and then don't have an independent thought based on our own experience and the collective exposure to a broad array of experts in our field. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll appreciate having listened to your, so many of your uh, recent episodes to the fact that, again, there's that critical thinking, there's that nuance that is often lost. And again, to your point, I, I wonder how much of Aaron's stuff is to kind of get a rise, so to speak, out of, out of some stuff. And again, like to, to a lot of the names you just brought up, there is the ability to uh, be authentic and provide value and, you know, talk about something like FMS, injury predict predictability, 
but yeah, sometimes I do feel like Aaron when he says stuff like uh, a recent one that caught our physical therapy folks on fire is like if you if you're out of shape, who are you to tell you know people how to get in shape? Uh, you know, if you don't look very healthy, then are are you capable of doing that? So again, it's a controversial thing. We don't have to go into it right now. Again, I want to I want to let's, oh, let's absolutely touch on it because there's two so Aaron said that I didn't see it. Did he say that? Yeah, he basically. I, 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 I'm quoting it. I'm, I'm, yeah, but it was it was along those lines. There's an irony there because I mean this is not something I subscribe to, but he's been criticized for teaching people about lifting and, and strength or whatever and having no visible muscle whatsoever. It's <laughs> not remotely jacked at all. Right. So that's a sort of a weird thing. Um, there's some nuance here, and this is a tough yeah. one. And every once in a while, somebody needs to virtue signal either end of the spectrum <laughs> and say, "Oh, if." If you don't, if you're not in shape, you know, you, you shouldn't be a trainer. And then the opposite side is, oh, you know, the shape you're in has nothing to do with how skilled you are as a trainer. And here's the thing. There's nuance because the people we're dealing with and we're trying to help. What's one of the problems that most fitness professionals struggle with? They want to be busier. They want to have more clients. Here's what I like to say. If you are struggling to have a full schedule and you are also visibly out of shape, relative to your expertise. So let's say you are a powerlifting coach who is weak as a kitten, or you are a fat loss coach who is visibly overweight. We know that we should practice empathy and, and being non-judgmental. That's, that's fundamental. That's a truth. But we're expecting something of the general population that contradicts human nature. People are judgmental. They form quick opinions about things. If you are struggling to be busy, then one of the things that you can embrace control over is to work directly on improving the quote shape that you're in. Right. Now that's not shaming anybody. That's just saying here, take control and take action of something that, that is within your bounds. And then of course, if you turn around and say, well, Oh, I'm too busy or this, 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 or this, or this, well, then you're, you're starting to compromise the credibility to turn around to the single working mom who you're saying, Oh, you need to make time. You need to make sacrifices. You need to do this to get your goals when you're not, also demonstrating that you're willing to do it. So in terms of being credible in the eyes of the person we're trying to help, whether or not it's right or wrong, and we have all the knowledge and skills, it's still ultimately about how we present ourselves to the people that we're trying to help. And if it's within your bounds to control it, it's probably something that you should spend a certain amount of effort on. And if you're someone who's on a journey, well, showcase the journey. If you've been on a fairly substantial weight loss journey and you've really worked hard on learning the stuff and you you become a coach, let people see the journey. Maybe you haven't arrived at the, the ideal destination for you yet, but people will look at that progress and go, wow, that person is really relatable. I want to go coach that person. So it's, it's like most of these discussions in our industry, people get into these black and white arguments. They're usually very nuanced, but what's the practical takeaway that ultimately will help someone get better? I'm not interested in saying to the coach who struggling with their business, who is, quote, visibly out of shape and going there, there, it's not your fault. It shouldn't matter that you have all the skill in the world. These people should sign up with you. That doesn't help that person. And, and if you can't get the attention and get, get people to actually want to work with you because of some superficial thing that they're judging you for, you're not able to make an impact and help people's lives. So it boils down to what is within your control, the same way we want our clients to work on what's within their control. Anyway, that's that topic. <laughs> yeah. And I'll bring up, uh, and I've heard you touch on CrossFit on a few, again, of the, the podcasts and 
Uh, of course, very controversial, especially in the training fitness space. Uh, but Greg Glassman, uh, again, also all sorts of different levels of controversial there um, <laughs> that we can get into. But again, very out of shape guy who's preaching some very high level stuff. And again, I think at the end of the day, if you sit down and listen to what he's talking about, uh, I think the principles are pretty damn sound. And I just had a, a debate with my co-host of my other podcast, the Man Better Podcast, and and he he was a CrossFit hater. And I said, hey, th this is the argument. Like, you know, we can we can talk about it. We can go go down that path again. I don't know how you feel if you've if you've really uh, gone down the path of Greg Glassman at all. I got the I got the nuance. It's it's a very similar thing. Greg's a jackass. He's an, he's an imbecile. <laughs> There's no nuance there. There's no nuance. But here's the nuance. <laughs> CrossFit, I think, is one of the most powerful entities to get more boots in gyms and barbells in hand than anything else we've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a net force of good. And for the people who criticize CrossFit for the prevalence of supposed injury within CrossFit, well, we see a substantial number of injuries in the powerlifting community. We see it in bodybuilding. And... This is the sort of thing that a, is going to happen when we have a combination of bad coaching and bad coaching can exist everywhere. Okay? There are great CrossFit practitioners who are passionate gym owners, who are great coaches, who do wonderful things. And one of the benefits of CrossFit is it creates a great culture and a community of support for its members by the sheer volume of its, its rapid growth and its popularity there are going to, we're all going to know someone. I know people, I have former, I have clients who were once CrossFitters and got hurt doing CrossFit. But I also know a shit ton of people who got hurt doing powerlifting, okay? And it's like, well, why are we treating CrossFit any differently than some of these other disciplines? Or, or running, which has a 90 plus percent injury rate. Totally. Right? <laughs> all these running coaches incompetent? No. I mean, like, is, is running in really bad? No. It's, it's yeah, there are, there are definitely biomechanical elements to it. And in any of these disciplines, we have powerlifting coaches forcing people who have no fucking business powerlifting into powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And we have people, we have slimy coaches in bodybuilding trolling insecure people to manipulate them into doing shows and paying the money and paying and selling God only knows what to these competitors. So and it's not that I, we don't treat those other communities as, as malevolent. So is it really fair to demonize CrossFit over and above? I think it's always fair to hold feet to flames about the flaws and the problems within your community, your, your ideology, the bad faith actors that exist in your world. And that doesn't mean that it's a, it's a blanket criticism of that community. And back to what I said about Glassman. Glassman's said a lot of stupid stuff. And at least in its origins, him and Castro, the smart programming to get people stronger it's not really their forte. They've kind of bumbled and lucked into some stuff. And then some really smart people got in there and have cleaned it up. And it's it's one of those things where, I mean, shit, you got regular gym members who do who bumble their way through stupid crap in the gym. <laughs> but I do not think that CrossFit is, is unique or inherently worse than anything else. It's got its flaws, just like all of these other approaches and ideologies. And I'm always fair about it. I don't I don't feel it's it should be singled out for criticism. No, I appreciate that. And again, that's where if you want nuance and, and in-depth uh, thought, Andrew Coates is your man. Uh, and again, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you had a, a cutoff here, so oh, we, we can keep going. Well, then uh, Shane, 
uh, as we mentioned earlier, asked me uh, to ask you, what are you reading these days? Complete, <laughs> complete uh, turn of the, the dial there. I am doing an audio book, uh, Brene Brown's The Atlas of the Heart. I love Brene's work. It just got released like a few days ago. You were yep. on it. I am currently reading Motivational Interviewing and Fitness and Nutrition again. I love that. I am reading a couple of textbooks on muscle, the science of muscle hypertrophy, including Brad Schoenfeld's second edition. I can never remember what the bloody title of that thing is. <laughs> so, um, I am most of the way through Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. And I probably at any given time have several other books open, although some of those yeah. books I haven't gone back to in a little while. But <laughs> I just summarize the ones that are current right now. I awesome. binge books. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, Shane mentioned you're a voracious reader, so I did want to touch base with you. Uh, it's funny because I'm doing, a, I'm reading a motivational interviewing uh, for healthcare practitioners. So uh, there you go. We're on that same page. And uh, I, I was, I was debating on the Brene Brown book. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, whether, how, however far along you are, you are into it. I think, I mean, reading up on coaching and, and the soft skills of the human experience mm. is probably one of the most important things. I mean, I think at this point, most coaches, you know, reading another article on how to do a Romanian deadlift properly, is we're probably okay. <laughs> but, you know, the business skills, the soft skills, the interpersonal skills, the coaching skills. I like books like The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungie Stainer. Really, really awesome book. And then Brene's stuff. I mean, all of her books kind of blur together in terms of all this conceptual stuff about guilt, shame, vulnerability. And it's wonderful. So I think it would be a great thing for virtually any coach, not just women. I mean, the books definitely are written with women in mind, but male coaches, guys, I mean, shit, in, I think in, in, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, what, 60 plus percent of the clients in the industry are women. You're going to be coaching women, unless you're one of those guys who just exclusively markets to men only as, as a high level coach. Otherwise you're dealing with women, in which case you probably should plug into some of these things. Uh, but I also think the stuff will help your male clients too. So it's, it's definitely not the ex exclusive domain of women. So yeah, that's something interesting. I was reflecting on the clients I attract as well recently. And I've noticed that I particularly, for some reason, whatever the energy I'm putting out is, I tend to attract feminine clients more than masculine clients. And I think it, I might be offering an alternative solution. I don't know, but I'd be, I would love to hear again. Uh, I know you have a very successful practice uh, as well or, or within the personal training space. And so uh, have you reflected on anything like that? Feminine, masculine, have you played into any of that? Uh, the Way of the Superior Man is a book I'll throw at you if you haven't heard of or read that. No, I haven't gotten into that uh, and trying to grab onto as much stuff as I can. I've read uh, Lewis House's The Mask of Masculinity, which mm -hmm. I thought was both interesting and a little overrated. Mm -hmm. um, nice people just write books to write books. But I, I think it's <laughs> good to get into this sort of stuff. Like, like Another example is Mark Manson's Subtle, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm -hmm. it's, it's unmitigated shit. It's pretentious <laughs> crap. I, it's a running joke. Of my, but if and someone listening to go, I like that book. If it's a gateway to you actually reading right. good stuff like Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning or uh, Ryan Holiday's work like The Obstacles Away or Brene yeah. Brown stuff, game on. Please bring right. it on. Like, remember, I said I, re I read it and I read his next book too, which is really better. <laughs> Mark is a phenomenal storyteller. Yes, um, I will agree with that. For with, sure. I've noticed that I work with people of fairly wide demographic. We get, occasionally you'll get some business guru who says you have to niche bullshit, nonsense. I think there can be a great value in being a specialist, but you don't necessarily choose your specialization as much as your specialization often will choose you after your early time in the industry. And you may find something that you really love and, and those people find their way to you. 
And I always think of Pete Dupuis, who's a good friend, and like Eric Cressy and Cressy Sports Performance. I don't know Eric personally, but I know Pete. Um, where if you look at their specialization when it comes to coaching major and minor league baseball players and pitchers, would you trust them to train your your mom or your dad? Fuck yeah, right? <laughs> you would. So if you know that someone's a great specialist, chances are they're pretty good generals. My mom can throw a 72-mile-an-hour fastball. I have you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, don't piss her off when she's got an avocado yeah. in her hand. Yeah. Uh, well, and ultimately, though, I think most coaches are in too much of a rush to try to specialize and own real estate. And I mean, this whole idea of owning real estate is kind of a funny concept because most most of the things are claimed. Like Brett Contreras is the glute guy. And then you get this guy who looks like one of the rejects of the of the insane clown posse became the glute guru. I don't know him. And that's that's disparaging. And I, I should be careful about that. But I'm sorry, but dude just looks creepy. And he's basically <laughs> trying to grab onto somebody else's sort of territory. Yeah. Now, what are we looking at with unclaimed stuff? Well, we had the carnivore diet. Diets keep getting more extreme. Oh, we got to go no meat. Okay. Well, now what do we got? We got the liver king, this guy who looks like he's yeah. on, you know, a, a terrifying amount of, of <laughs> and he looks like he doesn't, well, he actually, apparently he doesn't bathe at all. He definitely looks like he smells, you can smell him through his YouTube channel. And <laughs> This guy is, uh, you know, the liver king. He only eats organ meat. And I mean, like, this is how desperate we are getting to grab onto whatever real estate is yet unclaimed. There's always going to be someone else who does this sort of thing. And so people start grabbing onto real estate that no one else did because it's bullshit real estate. There's actually right. no value or credibility in this real estate. And I've seen this with young trainers trying to grab onto nonsense like, oh, God, what's it? I, I don't even want to get into it because I got some examples, but I, I won't. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> uh, I think if you work with a general population, general population ultimately are the broadest array of people that you can find who are going to find you because most trainers want to be busier. And they generally are, they pay well. And ultimately at the end of the day, we, we, we're in the industry and we feel like, oh, we're not supposed to care about money. We're not supposed to care about like, oh, we do it because we love it. Bullshit. We want to be able to put a roof over our head and save for retirement and actually earn a living and be valued for our time. So let's dispense with this, this narrative lie and this story that we say we don't care about the money because we should be able to compensate ourselves fairly for our time. And if we have this dream of working with athletes or MMA fighters, good luck finding MMA fighters who are going to pay you enough to you know pay you more. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah. you get the high level people. like You get a, a Joel Jameson or a Martin right. Rooney. And even right. then, they. I, I, I just I just had an MMA physical therapist on. Doctor Kickass is his. Uh, if you've seen him on Instagram, but yeah, he he. I don't think he exclusively works with MMA guys, but that's one of his specialties. And usually, the MMA guys are kind of a high profile client that they have uh, to fill in with everybody else who working with. But as an example, right? So I think there's a lot of value in being a great generalist, but having specialties if you really stand out in that space. Because at the end of the day, I want to help as many people as possible. And I'm not going to restrict myself. I And I hate the elevator pitches. I help 38-year-old single, you know, mothers who are lawyers <laughs> with 2.2 children. Like, fuck right. off that shit. The moment I see the, the elevator pitch at a bio, I'm like, uh, right? And if it's the business coach one, I help coaches, you know, do coach, six get $500,000. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> you no, know, piss off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, get, I get at least one of those guys approaching me a week. I'm like... God. They're like flies on rotten meat. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they create a little bit of entertainment. I'll say that because I can see it coming at this point so far. You know, it's uh, it's it's kind of entertaining. I, 
I don't know if you were you were still going with the thought. And again, I know your your time's a little really bit. Didn't, and and I'm pretty much out of time. But both okay. this is phenomenal. <laughs> I've enjoyed this, and you got some of my more humorous nuance to my thoughts. <laughs> I appreciate that. And yeah, again, uh, it, it helps to to do your research, kids. So if you if you have a guest on, you know, go listen to seventeen of their podcasts. And uh, it's, it's mind blowing that you'd take that time to do it. So I appreciate it a lot. I, like I just, funny. yeah, I, I love ingesting as much of this stuff. And again, I, you know, there's so many awesome folks like you out in the industry that, uh, and again, you start build developing and you, and, and again, you get that bullshit filter, which is, uh, again, jokingly what we used to say in CrossFit back in like 2010, when it was very fight club, uh, that's what I kind of got into. And, and we would joke that back then it had a bullshit filter, an asshole filter, if you will, that, uh, you know, back then it was, I, I started in a church basement uh, and you had to, there was only classes at five, six, seven AM. We had to, we had to, we were the ones who had to pull the equipment out of the closet and set it up on the basketball court and put the pull-up bar on the back of the thing. And uh, anyway, uh, I know you're out of time. So uh, I really appreciate you being on here. We'll, we'll sign off uh, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you. I know you got your podcast, Live Free and Diet Hard. Anything else? All roads go through Instagram. So at Andrew Coates Fitness on Instagram and then any links to anything I get published or the podcast or whatever, it's all through there. Easy to find. So yeah, this website is awesome, guys. It's very easy to navigate. I just, uh, again, I was checking all that out before we came on and uh, the bio is in the show notes, wherever that's going to be. So uh, <laughs> definitely check them out. And again, appreciate you taking the time and we'll talk to you guys next time. Hope you got at least 1% better today.